Welcome into the PFN Bengals podcast. I am Dallas Robinson. He is Jay Morrison. Jay, the Bengals pulled off a regular season finale victory over the Cleveland Browns. Didn't really mean anything, but it still felt good, right? I mean, they finished with a winning season. We got to see some some good production from some young players. The entire AFC North finished with a winning record. I mean, there there are impressive things to come off this victory, but at the end of the day, it didn't really mean anything in the in the playoff race. Uh, we'll we'll get into that game and kind of recap what went on uh, on Sunday. But what we're really going to focus on in this episode is our end of season awards. We've got all sorts of awards for you from this Bengals season that Jay and I have come up with. But Jay, let's start with that that Browns Bengals game on Sunday. Like I said, it didn't really have a ton of meaning in terms from a record standpoint or anything like that but what what stood out to you I think from this game from this 31-14 win that the Bengals pulled off on Sunday yeah coldest preseason game in NFL history I mean it just that's what it just had that preseason feel where uh yeah the Bengals were pl- the plan to win the Browns obviously weren't I think that's what stands out to me is the the, the Bengals and I kind of mentioned this in some of the, the stuff I wrote leading up to the game like you better win that game. You're saying you're going all in to win. You're playing your starters. H- have they lost that game and finished with a losing record and finished 0-6 in the division and lost to a bunch of backups? I mean, that would have been a really bad look. So that the, the fact that they were willing to do that, to put that on the line, and, and you see that happen a lot. You, know, you Sometimes the, the teams that are playing for something, the teams that aren't, even though it's backups and all that, it, it doesn't work out the way you would expect it would. So I, I thought that was significant, that they, they pushed all their chips in and they really dominated that game. It got kind of sloppy late. And, you know, we, we were just starting to look up last shutout in Bengals history. Well, some people were. I already knew what it was because it was also against the Browns. It was the Johnny Manziel start back in, I believe it was 2014, where everywhere you went in the city that weekend, People were doing this and they were doing it to the team bus riding into the game. And uh, man, the Bengals just stomped them in that game. And um, so it did. It, it had that feel like they were going to they were going to shut them out. It got away late. Um, good. Good for Mixon to get hit his incentives. Got an extra yeah. hundred thousand dollars by getting two extra touchdowns. Um, we got a chance to see, you know, some of the young guys, Yoshi Voss, two touchdown catches, kind of a hint of of what he could maybe develop into, uh, you know, if they lose to Higgins. They lose Tyler Boyd, both of which seem likely. Um, but, you know, other than that, there, there wasn't a lot of significance. I thought it was great for Jake Browning to, to have that kind of game and go out on top as a, as a starter with a four and three record. We focus so much on Bengals eight and nine versus nine and eight. But for Browning to be four and three um, and, and kind of prove to the rest of the league that that he belongs as a quarterback in this league, maybe just a backup quarterback, maybe not. I mean, Seven games, he's still got time to improve some more. He's probably not going to get an opportunity to be a starter anywhere else, but down the road, you, you just never know. Um, and then one other thing that kind of struck me about this, because we talked about it. Yes, they finished with the winning record, first division since 1935 to have every team above 500. Um, I, I went and I looked, and teams in the last five years that have finished with a winning record but still fell short of the playoffs. Um There's been 16 of them, 11 of them, which is 69%, have come back the following year to make the playoffs. And so it's it's not a – I mean, you see Super Bowl teams fall apart the next year. It it, it feels like it's – even though it's the disappointment of having a winning record and not making the playoffs – it feels like there's an incentive there, a springboard, if you will. And and who knows? Every every team's different. You know, the, not all teams probably went to the AFC championship game two years in a row mm-hmm. and then missed the playoffs. But just the, the fact of being good enough to finish with a winning record, which with the hardest schedule in the yeah. league by far this year, the Bengals did, and missed the playoffs. Um, I think that's significant. Um, of those 11 teams that made the playoffs the following year, six advanced. So it, there's something there that, you know, it's, it, I don't, people talk all the time, can momentum carry over yeah. from the first weekend in January, the second weekend in January until the next September? You know, maybe not, but, but maybe there is something to it that, of, of knowing that, that you played well, you fell short, you're this close, um, the little extra incentive to, to kind of hit the ground running in OTAs and, and make next season what you want it to be. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And there there are obviously guys on this team who won't be part of this roster next year, but there are a lot of guys who will be. I mean, I'm sure it feels good to them to go out with a win like this. You know, most of the coaching staff will probably be back next year. A lot, 
it, it feels great to go out kind of on, on a positive note instead of, like you said, losing to Jeff Driscoll. That would not have been a good way to go out in this final season. I thought seeing Charlie Jones especially kept that seam ball, catch that seam ball up the middle was incredibly yeah. impressive, especially given the drop that he had earlier this season. Um, you know, I think Tyler Boyd is far more likely to be gone uh, than T. Higgins. Bo- both could be gone, but I think Tyler Boyd is basically a guarantee. Really good to see Charlie Jones, I think, get some snaps because he could be that guy in the slot next year. Um, yeah, I think to, to finish with a winning record and kind of look forward to next season on a positive note is a plus. Um, again, it's very it's disappointing to, to be in this position and kind of know that you can't advance the next week. But given everything the Bengals faced this year to finish nine and eight, I, I don't think we would have picked a nine and eight record yet when Joe Burrow went down with a season ending injury. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to these games, I think we would have been, you know, called us crazy if we would have said they could have finished with a nine and eight record. So it is impressive, I think, to, to wrap up the season that way. Um, speaking of wrapping up the season, Jay, let's have some fun. Let's get into some of these awards. <laughs> let's do it for the rest of the season. It's been, it's been a long season. You know, it's been a long, long season with a lot of ups and downs for the, for the Bengals. Let's kind of recap and, and see how everybody didn't hand out some awards. So uh, we've got a bunch of categories here. I've got a long Google doc that I'm staring at Jay right now. <laughs> uh, let's, let's start off the top with team MVP. Now, I think this is a kind of interesting one because I think there are, there are a couple of candidates here and I think you could, you could go one of, one of several ways. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you, Jay. What, what do you have for, for team MVP for the Bengals 2023 season? So I just submitted my official vote on this for the pro football writers of America. Um, the Cincinnati, well, all the local chapters do a, a good guy award, which we gave to Jamar chase last week uh, and then an MVP. And had the Bengals made the playoffs, my vote would have been Jake Browning. Uh, but because they didn't, I, I went with Jamar Chase. And well, we've never had a, a guy win the MVP and the good guy award in the same year. I don't think. I have to go back and double check that, but I don't think that's ever happened. Um, but I just, I, he was the best player. Um, yeah, you can make an argument for Trey Hendricks, an incredible year, but how much better did he really make that defense? I mean, the defense wasn't very good. The offense was was humming. It looked as good as it, it, it it's supposed to look for five weeks when, when Burrow was healthy. Chase was a huge part of that. They lost the game when Chase didn't play. I think that kind of plays into his value as well. Um, I, I just, I, I, I really, I, I mentioned Browning, I mentioned Hendrickson, but I didn't really debate it much. I, I thought Chase was the easy pick here. I think Chase is a good pick. I, I went with Browning just because I don't know where this team would have been with with a different backup quarterback option. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at his numbers. He was eighth in EPA per play among quarterbacks with 200 attempts. You know, he, if he would have qualified for QBR, he would have been 10th. I, I think, I don't think you can overlook that. It, not, no one expected, I think, that type of performance when Joe Burrow went down. I mean, based on what we had seen from Jake Browning. So for him to overcome the expectations that we had set for him kind of as a as a Bengals community, I think, was pretty impressive. Jamar Chase is obviously a great pick. I think in terms of who is the best player, I think he would definitely win the award. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm using that, looking at that word value too much and thinking, you know, who – who else could have? I mean, Trevor Simeon could have been this backup quarterback. We've seen how he played. He's played yeah. for the Jets. Uh, so I, I'm going to have Jake Browning. I just think this season, the back half of this season, would have gone a lot worse had it been a different quarterback than Jake Browning under center. But I think Jamar Chase is a good pick too. Um, defensive MVP. This one I think is a is a you know open and shut case. It's got to be Trey Hendrickson, right? Franchise record, 17 and a half sacks. He finished 10th in pass rush for win rate uh, for the entire league. I don't think there's really another candidate here. No, you you can mention DJ Reader because I think he's so valuable, and because uh, his his absence has certainly been felt once he's been hurt. But it's obviously Trey Hendrickson. Yeah, and, and I put the same thing in parentheses. Runner up would be DJ Reader if we had to name a runner up. And even then, I don't think Reader had as good of a year as we've used. We're used to seeing him have. I'm not ready to say he's he's hitting you know, the, the old guy wall or yeah. ready to fall off a cliff. I think it would be great if they could find a way to bring him back. Um, he was really emotional in the locker room yesterday talking. Um, and, you know, a lot of guys when they're hurt talk about, you know, I'm going to kill this rehab and I'm going to be better than ever. And, and he just was like, just talking about how bad it sucks and how bad it hurts and to have people questioning you. And even though you don't question yourself, it's just, he, he was, 
he was in his feels yesterday, and I, I feel for that guy because he's been yeah. tremendous for this locker room, and I really do hope they figure out. It, it, it might be the best thing for the Bengals for that injury to have happened, the the fact that he they can possibly get him on a cheap deal, and he would mean so much for this for this team. But if we're, if we're talking the award, it's, it's Trey Hendrickson. Um, you know, Mike Hilton said it last week. He'd be mentioned in Defensive Player of the Year in the league if he didn't play in Cincinnati. I don't know about that. But he definitely would be getting more run than what he's getting right now, uh, and it's you know small market not teams team wasn't a, a playoff team all that, but but he was fantastic this year, and um, I I thought it was interesting that you know that he had a chance to get the sack record. I mean, yeah. You're playing a bunch of backups, and you're playing Jeff Driscoll, and he got his half sack, and he, he basically I, I don't know if it's his decision or the coaches, but he was out of there by halftime, and yeah. they they weren't just trying to to pad stats there, and I, I thought that was telling too that you know he, he he did what he he did it in the framework of of what the team was at that time, and um, just the the remarkable consistency that that half sack is big that gives him nine games in a row now with at least half a sack. The NFL record is twelve. So if he can do it in the first three games next year, he, he could have that. He already has an 11-game streak in 2021. So just to get that half sack, which they originally didn't give to him, by the way. Right. They, gave it, they gave it solely to B.J. Hill, and then they went back, and they're like, yeah, even though Trey let him go, he, he probably wouldn't have – that probably wouldn't have been a sack if Trey hadn't, hadn't hit him in the first place. So uh, long-winded answer there, but, yeah, Trey Hendrickson, easy, easy choice. Uh, yeah, Trey Hendrickson will be coming up in another category, for me at least, that we have later on here. Uh, best newcomer. This can be a rookie or a free agent. Jay, who did, who'd you have for the best newcomer for this season? Yeah, I struggled with this one because the, the rookie class wasn't great. Um, I, I was, even though I think you talk about the back end of that defense being the problem, I was really impressed with Jordan Battle. Um, once he took over as a starter, yeah, there were some mistakes there, but um, that's a guy that, that I think is going to be a leader on this defense moving forward. They don't have the veterans on that side of the bar. The, the, you know, the, Pratt's been here a while. Hendrickson doesn't say much. Uh, Logan Wilson's been here a while. But I, I just I feel like Jordan Battle is a, a – I don't want to say a future star, but he's a future leader. I can see him in that Von Bell mold mm-hmm. eventually. And he, he played forever at Alabama. And <laughs> – you know, he kind of deferred. He came in and he he did. He wanted to be a leader. It's in his nature, but he deferred to the older guys. I think we're going to see a different Jordan Battle next year in in terms of vocal and and really kind of grabbing that defense and try to make it his. Um, I thought he played communication breakdown aside. I thought he played really well once he took over as a starter. So I, I gave him the slight edge over Orlando Brown Jr. I don't think Orlando played great. I don't think he played up to the contract, but he it, it was an improvement uh, that O line. Every guy started all 17 games. The intangibles he brought to that locker room, the professionalism, the winning attitude. I mean, there's other guys on that team that have been in Super Bowls, obviously. Yeah. But I, I thought that that he was a key piece. And, again, it's kind of a an award of attrition because there's not a lot of great options. I agree. I I, had, I struggled with this as well. I I picked Jordan Battle, too. I He only played 524 defensive snaps, but it felt like more. It yeah. felt like more than that. I mean, full-time player starting in Week 11 – you mentioned the communication breakdowns. That's an obvious issue that he and Dax Hill are going to have to work on going into next year. But I agree. I think he showed a lot over the back half of the season. And I think he kind of saved the best for last in week 18. Mm-hmm. He filled up the stat sheet, an interception, two pass breakups, one sack, two tackles for loss. I mean, that's a way to go out on a, your rookie season, right? Um, so I, I agree. I mean, he was a, he was viewed as a leader when he was in college. And I think as you enter your second NFL season, you've got – get more confidence you've been here in this locker room he is the type of guy i think that you would look at as in a leadership role going into 2024 i had orlando brown as well as a runner-up i think he was probably like a league average tackle maybe a little bit worse it's probably not a good roi at the end of the day for the for the money he's making but it's hard to find offensive tackles and the bengals know that as as well as any team in the league so i think just to get pure competence at that left tackle position was a huge improvement not that jonah williams wasn't competent at times but that the offensive line as a unit was not competent at Mm. times to get a left tackle who you know can be there for basically every snap and not be a a guy who's giving up a pressure on every play you got to count it as something as a win given where this offensive line has been in years past um let's go to most improved this is another one that I kind of struggled on, Jay, but I ended up going with Tanner Hudson. 
Yeah. And I know Tanner Hudson was not in Cincinnati last year, but this was a guy who's really never gotten an opportunity in anything close to like a full-time tight end role with any of the teams he's been on. He's been a backup. He's been a special teams guy. He finally got that starting role around week nine, kind of mid-season. After week nine, he was 10th among all tight ends in the league in catches. 10th. And I think he could re-sign next year. I mean, he's a free agent next year. I think you re-sign Tanner Hudson. Maybe you have Drew Sample back in his usual role. Then you go and draft some athletic freak tight end in the fourth or fifth round. I think that's a pretty solid plan for tight end next year. And Tanner Hudson impressed me on multiple occasions, and I didn't know a ton about him before this season. So I'm, I'm going to put him for most improved. Yeah, I did too. I didn't know where to put Jake Browning with this. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, just uh, you, you go from basically zero. We'd never seen him play yeah. before. To so that was. But he had been here for three years, so I, I, I kind of I was like, do I put Browning in there? And I, but I went Tanner Hudson, uh, thirty-nine catches, three hundred fifty-two yards in his entire career coming into yep. this year, fifteen catches, one hundred ninety-nine yards. He, and they needed him. It wasn't like he just kind of bubbled up and, and played well. We're going to get to the disappointments later, but there was a disappointment at this position big time, and they needed Tanner Hudson to be that guy, and kind of disappointing they waited so long to to make it happen, Uh, but but he did. When he finally got in there, absolutely made the best of his opportunity. And he helped my Dynasty Fantasy team as well, so I'll give him extra credit for that. Uh, Players we want to see more of in 2024, Jay. I think there were a lot of guys, young guys on this team who got opportunities, but is there someone you really want to see more of heading into next season? Yeah, Miles Murphy. Um, I think we have to. Yeah. I think, um, you know, Sam, he's so well-respected. He's meant so much to building this culture, but it, he had a down year, and that could be the start of the decline. Of, of mm-hmm. that, that happens to these D-linemen. They get older, and, and it just they kind of fall off. Um, he he kind of disappeared at times this year. He's still really good against the run, I thought, but as a pass rusher, the juice just wasn't there. Um, he did get a sack. It did go out on a high note with a sack Sunday to give him six for the year. But when your second guy has six and your first guy has 17 and a half, that's you need more from that position. And um, I thought, I thought miles Murphy, it's weird. I, it, it really felt like he was starting to build something. And then it felt like he kind of hit the rookie wall and it was weird. Cause it's like, well, how did he hit the rookie wall when he barely played, but it's still, it's a long season for these guys. It's a grind. It's not used to what the, the work, the practice, all that stuff they put in. Um, so I do, I, I want to see a lot more of him. I don't know if he'll be in a starting role next year. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of it too is, is trust and they, they trusted Sam Hubbard. I think they could see that miles was bringing a little more juice toward the end, but it's just, once you start fresh and you get into camp, and if miles Murphy's looking a lot better than Sam Hubbard, I think they need to make that switch. I think Miles needs to start opposite Trey Hendrickson next year. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you spent a first-round pick on the guy. I think you've given him this first season to kind of get acclimated, and year two is kind of the time when you need to see something, and they could certainly use more pass rush. There's no question about that. My my guy was for this, who I want to see more of in 2024, was Chase Brown. Yeah, I, I think Joe Mixon, odds are he's not going to be here. I, I don't know. I mean, he, I think over these past few games he's done a little more to maybe he could – be back next season but I think he'd have to take another pay cut and I don't know if he's going to be willing to do that um I think Chase Brown either way will have a significant role in this offense next year I think we've seen it as a, as a rusher on screens as a receiver that he is an incredibly explosive player he obviously had the the screen against the Colts that was it was a 22 plus miles per hour this is a guy I think that needs to be more involved in this offense going forward, and and I think he will be. I, I I'm not sure what the Bengals' plans at running back are, are going to be. If if it's not Mixon, does that mean they'll draft someone else? Does that mean they'll try and sign a cheap veteran free agent back? And there are guys out there we we could talk about in the future, but I think either way, Chase Brown should be involved in this offense. Um, other guys I had were, were the receivers, Yoshivas and, and Charlie Jones. Depending on where T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd go, I think those guys could be called on next year uh, to, to play some significant snaps. Those are my guys for that. Um, let's be negative, Jay. I mean, this season was not, <laughs> not everything that Bengals fans had hoped for, so let's be a little negative. Least valuable player. Um, I'll start with mine. I hate to say it. I hate, I hate to do this to, any, to anybody on the Bengals roster, but I'm going to say Brad Robbins. It just it did not go well. They, they spent a draft pick on a punter, which I think when an NFL team does that, you're hoping you're picking a guy who's going to be there for at least the length of his rookie contract. 
Brad Robbins, I don't know if he's going to be here for the length of his rookie contract or not. I, I'm not a punting expert, but I think anybody could see that he struggled this year. There's a website called Puntalytics, which looks at punter EPA. No idea how it's calculated, but he was dead. Brad Robbins was dead last. He was bottom two in the percentage of punts that he put inside the 20. It was not a good year. I, I can't imagine that he'll be back. I, I don't see how you could go into next season with Brad Robbins as your punter. He's my least valuable player for this year. Um, I think they, I think they will stick you with Brad so? Robbins. I, I think they, I think they will probably bring someone in to compete with them. I'm, I'm going to read a quote from Darren Simmons here. I, I, I know I wish we could play the audio, but he was specifically asked about this last week and he was asked to evaluate his year. And he said, yeah, that's a hard one because it's been a long time since I've had to deal with a rookie punter. I think if you ask Brad, he'd probably say the same, that it's a, he's a little disappointed in his season. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I expect him to make giant strides next year. I think it was certainly inconsistent at the beginning, and there have been moments throughout the year it's been inconsistent. There have been some moments where it's been pretty good. I think he still has a lot to learn and how to grow. Because punting in the NFL, it's not about lining up back there and swinging away and hitting balls as high as far as you can. There's so much more situational stuff. I mean, it it sounds Darren's very blunt. It sounds to me like he's disappointed, but encouraged. And, and one of and one of the things he said there that that wasn't that I didn't read was, and he said this before. He said it about Drew Chrisman last year. He said it about Kevin Huber last year that they do it in practice. And they just don't translate it to the games. But they, they've seen him translate it to games at Michigan, uh, high-quality college football. And I, I think there's a belief there that, that it, he can get it turned around. So I don't think they're going to just pull the plug. I, I think they're going to ride with him, bring somebody else in, yeah, have a competition. Um, but that, that's going to be interesting to see because um, I, I do – I think Brad's got it in him. It's just, you know – Sometimes a lot of pressure being a rookie, and 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 they were in some situations where, you know, that the offense wasn't humming because of the yeah. way Joe Burrow was hurt early, and it just it, it just kind of built on him. Um, he had some nice bunts in that in that finale yesterday. He had some bad ones too. That's what Darren's talking about the inconsistency. Yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to slap at least valuable on him. Um, I, and I think it's tough too because like the Bengals gave up on Jake Elliott too early, you know, a few yeah. years back and look at what he's become for the Eagles as their kicker. And right. I, and I get not wanting to do that again with another special teamer. I guess my concern would be, I think most people are expecting the Bengals to push for the Super Bowl next year. Yeah. You just can't have a guy back there. Who's going to consistently put you in bad field position. I mean, those are the type of little margins that could come back to bite you at the end of the year. So, I mean, it, it's, I guess if I, I would give, you know, if Darren Simmons thinks there can be improvement there, then I would trust Darren Simmons, but the, the numbers were not good. Yeah, I, I went with Irv Smith as my least valuable. I mean, 330 snaps, 18 catches, um, two healthy scratches, and a game that he was active and did not play an entire snap. And that's, you know, that the, they rolled the dice on this. They It wasn't like this was a big surprise. They, they knew he was kind of a wild card. He had a high ceiling. I don't think they expected the floor to be anything like this, and mm-hmm. and they didn't draft a guy, and and they, I, I think there's a there's a disconnect there between the coaching staff and the front office. I, Zach said all the right things about wanting to having trust in the guys they have, but it, it's clear they would have liked to have had a more of a playmaker there, and it really did hurt them. I don't think they're going to make that mistake again. Um, Irv Smith, no way he's back. Uh, just the way that the, the season yeah. kind of fell apart for him, and and the, the total production just. Um, no value there whatsoever. Uh, along the same lines, biggest disappointment for the season, Jay. Who did you have? I had I had Irv Smith as a candidate for this. He was not my ultimate selection. Who did you have for your? That, this is where I yeah. This is where I put Robbins um, okay. yeah. because I, it was it, it was disappointing. You, you expected so much more from him, and you know, it's forty four point three average. It was eighteenth best in franchise history. It's that's just you, he comes in with a, the the reputation of a big leg, and we just didn't see it. It's like okay, well, if he doesn't have the big leg, you got the touch. Well, he didn't have the touch either. He had all the touchbacks and all that. And, and I wanted to point out, you know, Drew Chrisman last year, forty seven point eight average, best in franchise history, and he's gone. And, and that's what it goes back to what Darren was saying. It's it's not just about firing away there's there's a there's a touch and a nuance to it and directional punting and so uh the fact that that brad didn't get it right away that's why i put him disappointment but i i just i felt least valuable was a little too harsh for the for the rookie punter 
my biggest disappointment was Joseph Osai. I had mm. such high hopes for this guy coming into this year. I know he suffered the the high ankle sprain in the preseason, and he and he got off to a slow start. But then that slow start pretty much continued through the entire season. He played 177 snaps. That's it. I, I if you would have told me before the season that Osai would have played fewer snaps than Josh Tupo and Zach Carter, and I know there were defensive tackle injuries that that forced those guys into the lineup, but 177 snaps for a guy that. I think most projected to be their third pass rusher behind Hubbard and Hendrickson. He just was not that in any capacity. And I don't know what that means for him going into the final year of his contract. I would say he he's clearly behind Miles Murphy hitting into next year. He's behind Cam Sample. I mean, he's fifth at best on this edge rushing depth chart heading into his his final year of his rookie contract. And you know, from from a from a person I, I thought he would could be maybe not like a starting caliber ru- rusher, but Maybe like Bryce Huff for the Jets, who, you know, he's a specialized pass rusher who's, who is constantly up there in, in pass rush win weight and pre- pressure rate. He just hasn't been that at all. And I think going into this final season of his of his rookie deal, he is in the doghouse for sure. Yeah. I mean, every time we asked Lou about it, he said he just needs to get healthy. And, you know, he did. He had the offseason shoulder surgery. He had the awful penalty that really cost him yeah. the AFC championship game. I don't know if there's some residual hard feelings about that. Yeah. But it, it well, you're right. It was it was like he was in the doghouse all year, and um, so maybe that changes. Maybe he has an off season to to fully work out, come back 100 percent healthy, build his strength back up where it needs to be, and, and he flashes and looks great in the spring. But it's going to be an uphill climb. Let's go biggest surprise for the season. Now this could be good or bad. This could be on on either side of the coin here. As you know, if you watch this show, I'm, I'm kind of a negative Nancy, so I'm going to go on the bad side. I'm going to go with the defensive issues. I yeah. mean, that just as a general concept, I did not expect this defense to be anywhere uh, as poor as it was. They were dead last in yards per play allowed for the for this season, 27th in EPA per play. Constant explosive plays. You know, if you've watched the Bengals, that's you can picture it in your eye, that guy just running wide open down the sidelines, down the middle, nobody around them. Only two teams were worse against the run this season on a down-by-down basis. We talk all the time about how this defense is a bend-but-don't-break unit, but they were still eighth-worst in points allowed per drive, right? So it's they were still gave up points when it counted. It's I think it's going to probably cost Lou and Arumo a chance at a head coaching job. Um, it was just very, very surprising, and it's – in, in a season where Joe Burrow went down and that you think that would be the kind of the storyline of the season, it was really these defensive issues that that would have been the problem, even if Joe Burrow had been here. Yeah. And it, it went right to the end. We talked about yeah. they're, they're playing a bunch of backups against the Browns. And how's that game in? Two right. explosive <laughs> touchdowns, right. you know, guys wide open in the end zone. Well, one was wide open. Yeah. It's just that was that I I expected it early. I didn't expect it to linger. Yeah. all the way through the season. So I'm with you there. That would have been, if I went negative, I didn't go negative. I, I went biggest surprise positive. I mean, Jake Browning, what I, there, there's no other, I mean, it was yeah. just, it was remarkable what he was able to do. And I, I had confidence. I, I told my barber, he, I went to the barbershop the, the, the uh, couple days before the Jacksonville game. He's like, do they have a chance? I was like, I really think they do. I think, I think Jake don't base it on the, the Pittsburgh game. I think Jake Browning really can be a good quarterback. They're, they're going to work with him. Um, and, and we saw that, that, that he really played well, uh, four and three, um, four, four and two after that initial Pittsburgh in his very first start. So it just, I thought he could play well, never. And, and the coaches would tell you the same thing, never in their wildest dreams. And I think it would be that well. Let's uh, go back to the positive best bang for your buck. I mean, there, there were, I didn't consider rookie contracts on this because it no. kind of throws a wrench in things. So um, who did you have for the best bank for your buck? A guy who had a good ROI on on his salary. I mean Tanner Hudson. Yeah, five hundred twenty-two thousand. I mean that is <laughs> a third of what uh, Herb Smith was making, but three times the production. I mean that's the the epitome of bang for your buck. And you get throw Jake Browning in there too, seven hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. What he did, uh, both those guys. And I had I had Drew Sample in the mix too. At Me one point one, he was a very very uh, important piece, and people are going to roll their eyes and and just look at. You know, the lack of tackles he breaks and lack of cat. What they did with him to make him basically the third down back yeah. where he is learning all the protections and, and really back there doing a great job picking up blitzes. I, I, sneaky, sneaky, really good season. And I'd be stunned if he's not back because I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of interest out there. They can bring him back at a similar deal. And um, I think I think they should. I, I, I really think he played an important role. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about 
catches and yards for per 1.1 million doesn't look that great but what he meant to this team was pretty important totally agree he was on my list as well and i mean for the league minimum he had a role right that's mm-hmm. all you can really ask for my guy was actually trey hendrickson <laughs> i think yeah. i i know he makes a lot of money but he's only 10th in annual yeah. salary among edge rushers and he finished second in the league in sacks i mean i I think if he was on the on the open market, he would be earning a lot more. And like we talked about before, if he was playing in a different market, he'd be getting more credit around around the league and nationally. I think for his salary to be getting his production, you're still getting getting a value there, even though he's making a lot of money. Um, assistant coach of the year for this one, I went with Dan Pitcher. Yeah. I think he just did a great job, kind of transitioning from Joe Burrow to Jake Browning. You've seen. Jake Browning, talk about how vital Dan Pitcher has been. Uh, I think Dan Pitcher should be an offensive coordinator next year somewhere. If Brian Callahan, we've seen Brian Callahan got a request to interview with the Carolina Panthers for their head coaching job. I think if Callahan goes somewhere, Pitcher is obviously going to be promoted to become the Bengals play, or not play caller, but offensive coordinator. I think even if Callahan stays, I think pitchers should and probably will attract offensive coordinator interest around the league. I mean, this is the kind of offensive system I think that teams are looking for and seeing what pitcher in this offensive staff were able to do with a backup quarterback, probably even more impressive than what they've been able to do with Joe Burrow over the past few years, kind of coming up with these solutions and, and getting, making things a little easier for a guy who hadn't been in there. So I'm going to go with Dan pitcher and, and I think he's due a promotion somewhere. Yeah. I, I he was my obvious choice too. I, 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 James Casey, the tight ends coach as a backup. What he did with that room was really, really impressive. What he's done with that room, you know, turning CJ Uzama into what he's done and, and then yeah. Hayden Hurst last year. And yeah, Joe Burrow plays a role in that, but James Casey is an excellent tight ends coach. A guy that played in the league uh, deserves some credit here, but Dan Pitcher, what, you know, a lot of people look at what, what he did with, with Browning and the production on the field. When it comes to getting these jobs, the interview is so important, mm-hmm. and I know he's not as front-facing as like you, you, you guys that watch this and read our stuff, and you, you hear from Brian Callahan all the time. You don't hear from Pitcher. He is incredibly smart, and and I just he will knock any interview out of the park, and I and that's why I think he's going to be gone. If someone asks him to come in and do an interview as an offensive coordinator, he's probably going to get that job he's just that impressive of a guy and i don't think he's going to be a coordinator for long i think he's gonna be a head coach in this league before you know it and uh, it, it'd be great for bengals fans if he's stuck around but for dan i hope he deserves it and, and i hope he does get an opportunity somewhere i hope brian gets an opportunity somewhere if they lose them both then uh oh i don't know where they go after that um but but i yeah i thought this was one of the easiest uh, of questions on on this exercise of the awards was was Dan Pitcher was by far the assistant coach of the year, and he did get some interest last year. He interviewed with mm-hmm. the Buccaneers for their role, and I believe he interviewed twice. Maybe it was scheduled to interview twice, and then decided to remain with the Bengals. So I, I think he'll be back out there and probably get more interest uh, moving forward. Uh, how about best game, Jay? There were a lot of a lot of ups and downs this season. A lot of good games, a lot of bad games. What did you have for the best? overall game this season for the Bengals yeah I had two here it's kind of like that argument for most valuable player like is it the best or is it the the most meaningful yeah um I, I thought their best game was San Francisco by far and I know the 49ers were missing some pieces but that that's when they were humming with Burrow looked like the way they're supposed to look but I, I'm going Jacksonville in this one mm. kind of touched on it earlier that was the that's the one that got everything turned around and, and got the Jake Browning train rolling and and you know they're, they're the whole prime time on the road narrative where they had hadn't won in a decade on the road under the lights and just all of that. And they were down in that game and they came back and clutch field goals from Evan mm-hmm. McPherson and clutch plays. And yes, Trevor Simeon or uh, Trevor Lawrence got hurt in that game, but I, I just, that one was really impressive to me. I thought that was one of their best wins of the year. You might say Minnesota too. I don't know. I don't want to jump. I don't want to see what your thunder, but I mean, they played so bad in that. And then to come back and win was impressive, but Overall, the whole feel of the game, everything surrounding the game, I'm, I'm going to go with that Jaguars game on Monday night. Yeah, I think it's a good pick, and it's it's a question of how you view best game, right? Mm-hmm. And I think best overall performance, that Jacksonville game was very impressive. I had the Niners game as well. That was an incredibly impressive game. I had that the Cardinals game just because yeah. at the time it felt like Joe Burrow and co. were kind of getting back on the right page and getting everything going. 
But I went with a game against Minnesota just for pure entertainment value. I mean, it had everything you could want, right? I had a comeback down from 14 points in the fourth quarter. You had the amazing T. Higgins touchdown catch. You had the defensive stops. You had overtime. You had the throw to Tyler Boyd. It was just it was a heart attack of a game, right? It was an incredible, incredible game to watch. Yeah, they didn't best. Did they play the best in that game as opposed to some of their other games? No, but from a pure entertainment value and which which game will I maybe remember? For me, it's that one. Um, and I think we'll just roll into favorite or best play of the year too. For me, it's that T Higgins catch against Minnesota. Yeah. It was just I, I can't. I still have not think stopped thinking about it. You know, a month later, I, I still can't believe he had the awareness, the physicality, everything about it to to kind of get that ball in the end zone. That's my choice. I've got some other ones here, but Jay, I want to hear what your pick is for best play of the year. Yeah, well, I want Higgins too, just the because just the pure what happened. I mean, yeah. what he did. But then for me personally, it was just it was such a high because my son had literally just graduated from college like ten minutes before, <laughs> and I was walking through the parking lot watching it on my phone, and just that whole experience was kind of different from watching it in a, in a sterile press box. And so yeah. it was just, it was so memorable and it was so impressive and, and it's so meaningful to, to the comeback and everything. Uh, so I thought that was an easy choice that my next one, and I, I don't, I guess it can't be favorite or best, but I will, I will maybe most telling play. Hmm. Um, it was the Herb Smith fumble in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Because they're up 17, 10. It's just before halftime. They got a chance to go up. 24 to 10 on one of the best teams in the league and a team that hasn't lost at home in forever. And they have that just brutal turnover and it didn't matter they, they overcame it. And I just, I thought that was really telling. I thought that was a big statement on this team to, to overcome that. Um, and I, there, I've got one other thing on that fumble that I'll get to later uh, as a, as a stat at the end of this exercise or at the end of these awards. Um, but I just, that one just really stood out to me where that I think that's that's when Irv got completely planted in the doghouse yeah, yeah. and kind of ended his season. But it said so much about this team and its resolve to to that that could have been a killer. And, and it wasn't. They overcame it and they, they won that game pretty easily despite it. Some of my other choices for for best play were those consecutive third and fourth down and one stops in overtime versus Minnesota. You know, they we've heard so much about the tush push and it can't be stopped and the Bengals stopped it. Um, the Browning throw to Boyd at the end of overtime was also an, an incredible play to get them in field goal range to win that game. Um, Chase Brown's screen touchdown against mm-hmm. the the Colts that we talked about where he hit 22 plus miles an hour. I think that was just a great kind of coming out play for him. And then going back to that Arizona game, the, the Burrow 63 yard bomb to Jamar Chase again, felt like kind of, Hey, we're getting back to old times here. The, yeah. the Joe to Jamar show. And it, it, it felt great at the time. And then the Cam Taylor-Britt pick six against Arizona, I thought was a really impressive, meaningful, impactful play that, that I will not forget. So I think a lot of a lot of highlights uh, for this season. The other side of the coin here, how about dumbest play of the season, Jay? What did you what did you have? I, I had a couple options for this. What was what was your choice? Well, I don't want to I don't want to go dumbest, um, but we you we, when we came up with these categories, it's dumbest slash worst. Yes. So by far fourth and one at Kansas city worst play. I mean, they, they didn't expect the front they got. They, I mean, they came out in a goal line front. It was just something totally different. It was not the front didn't confuse them. It's what they did out of that front mm-hmm. um, to bring Chris Jones and, or no, I'm sorry, not Chris Jones, but Willie Gay. Yeah. It, it just, it just the ramifications of that play and what it meant and how it, it turned that game around basically killed the season I mean, if, if they win that game, they're in the playoffs. So it's it, it was just a, a way win. Maybe they wouldn't have been. Uh, uh, I, I, I honestly can't remember at this point if they would yes, have been or not. Because they, they, Buffalo would have finished ahead of them and Pittsburgh would have finished tied. They yeah, would have not have won. So, I don't think they would have anyway. Yeah, but, but yeah. Um, they would have had a shot at least on that, that yeah. final week of the season. And yeah. it, just everything that play meant, it was, I, I don't think it was a bad play call. We talked about it at the time. It was the right decision to go yeah. for it. Running Joe Mixon. Yes, he's not great, but, but that's your best option. If you're going to try to get short yardage, he's good on the goal line. They're in a goal line front. Everything made sense. It just didn't work out. It's one of those plays where you look at minus three and you, you scratch your head and you throw things and fans yeah. are angry, but um, just, 
I, I, I just I couldn't think of a worse play in terms of everything surrounding it. It was my choice as well. It was a terrible, again, not a terrible play call, but the 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 situation, everything surrounding it, what it meant for the season. I think you have to pick that. A couple other options I had: the Tyler Boyd double pass versus yeah. Jacksonville. I mean, they. Had, the Jags had just scored to tie the game. You immediately turned the ball over and, and let them score another touchdown. We, we talked about at the time that you know, they're trying to generate explosive plays using trick plays and trick concepts. So it wasn't the worst idea in the world. Execution was terrible. Um, and then one other other one, which it, it didn't end up meaning anything. It, it wasn't a horrible outcome or anything like that. But do you remember the third and one? It was early in the game against Minnesota where they tried to have Tanner Hudson roll out and throw a pass. That... It was on my list as well. Yeah. I think it, that was a poor call. Thank, uh, Tanner Hudson should have thrown that ball away. If I recall, they probably could have gone for it on fourth down there. Don't know what they were thinking with that. We, we've we've spoken Tanner Hudson's praises throughout this show, but he should not have been put in a position to pass in that situation. So, but the, the third, the fourth and one against KC has got to be the top choice for worst play of the year. Yeah, Tanner Hudson did play quarterback in college. Um, so I, I, I think that's where that came from. I think the trick yeah. play in Jacksonville was a little bit of a little bit of brotherly competition, where he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna show yeah. Press something special here," and and they've hit that play before. Uh, so anytime those trick plays don't work, yeah, you 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 throw them in the dumb or the worst category. So I, I'm with you there. But yeah, Kansas City by far that was that was the one that kind of epitomized a yes. worst play. All right, let's wrap up, Jay. Let's wrap up these awards with favorite stat. I'm not even going to try to compete with the master <laughs> here. Jay's got stats. Time to cook. Jay, what have you got for us here to wrap up our awards for the year? Yeah, it's nothing It's nothing crazy that I had to dig up. It's just something that has really impressed me from day one when Zach got here. And it's something that drives me absolutely insane when I watch other games. Last night's national championship game all these false starts and it's just like, mm. why even practice? Why, why is this happening? The Bengals have been incredible. They, okay. 76 penalties this year, one shy of best in the league. The Raiders somehow only at 75. The Raiders seem like wow. every year they're the most penalized team. <laughs> Not the case this year. Uh, penalty yards this year, 614 lowest in the NFL. As impressive as that is, that's not a one-off. If you look at fewest penalties, and fewest penalty yards for the last two seasons, Bengals are best. Last three seasons, Bengals are best. Last four seasons, Bengals are best. Last five seasons, since Zach Taylor got here, even with the 2-14 and 14 season in 2019 and the 4-11-1 in 2020, they are still the best, least penalized team in the league. And... That I mean that that that's part of a culture. That's that's coaching. I know a lot of people like to bang on Zach, but but that is really impressive to to be able to do this consistently, and it it, it helps you win games. It, it, I mean, penalties obviously can cost you games, and and even when they have penalties, they're not these egregious ones that that really kill them. And so I just I think that's really impressive that it's it's year after year after year. And the, the, a runner-up one here is this year the Bengals had 16 giveaways. You played a backup quarterback for seven games, and they still finished tied for second in the league with fewest turnovers at, at 16. It, it, and seven of the top 11 teams in that stat are playoff teams. Um, 16 giveaways also ties the Bengals franchise record. They also did it in 1982 when they only played nine games because there was a <laughs> strike. So this is by, by far their best season in terms of taking care of the ball. And of those 16 turnovers, two were fumbles, lost fumbles. That ties the NF record, NFL record for fewest lost fumbles in a season. And that's my callback to the Herb Smith one. The, other, the Herb Smith one before halftime in, in, in San Francisco, the only other one they had was a strip sack of Burrow in week four against Tennessee. They did not fumble the ball. Joe Mixon, you say what you will, not very explosive, struggles in short yardage time. He doesn't fumble. And that's a big part of that. But it's also the O-line playing better. Burrow not taking these shots that lead to, mm -hmm. to strip sacks, those kind of things. So the, um, the previous record for fewest lost fumbles in a season for the Bengals was four in 2018. The next fewest was six in 2022. So again, we're seeing a pattern develop here where they're taking care of the ball, um, taking care of the ball and not committing penalties 
that's going to lead to more wins. And this, like I said, this was not a, win, a one-off this year. It's something that they can carry into next year and you get all the pieces back. You fill in the, the holes that you're missing. You continue with, with that nuts and bolts element of the game. And I think they're going to be in good shape. It's really interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a solid foundation to build from, right? Yeah. Regardless of what else is going on on the roster and, and, and the team and anything else, opponents, it's, I think it speaks to the coaching staff, like you said, to have a disciplined team that year after year is not committing these either penalties or giveaways that you see teams all over the NFL constantly lose games with these self and self-inflicted errors. It's really impressive. It is honestly really impressive. And I was not aware of those stats like to, to see not just that it's a one off thing, but that it's been year over year over year. And that gives you confidence that it can continue moving forward, especially when Joe Burrow comes back and. Yeah, that's, that is really impressive, and I think that gives them kind of a, a baseline of of competence where they're not going to get blown out, they're not going to bottom out because they're they're this disciplined team, I think, and you've got to give credit to Zach Taylor for that, for yeah. just for that attitude as well. Um, yeah, that, that is really impressive. Jay, let's finish up here with our bets for the week. We've been doing our bets all season long. Unfortunately, we will not get to have a Bengals bet this week, but we will – have a couple of bets for you for the playoffs. So Jay, where do we stand heading into this wild card round? So I, uh, I pushed again last week. I had Cincinnati Cleveland as my Bengals bet. I took the over at 38 and a half and uh, that, that cashed on the final touchdown by the Browns. Um, I tried a, I tried another parlay, an AFC East parlay and I lost them both. I went Patriots minus two and a half dolphins plus three. So I, I pushed for the week. I, I remain at minus six units on the season. Uh, you had Tampa minus five and a half and, and won that. I think a lot of people thought that was going to be more of a blowout than nine nothing, yeah. but uh, they did cover. So that was a, a win for you. And then you set your own line on Chase Brown touches at 12 and he finished with exactly 12. So. Yes, he did. I was watching that closely. Yeah. <laughs> he, there, he had two targets. The only one he caught. I can't remember what the other, how the other one ended, but uh, yeah. he had a chance there and, if we call it opportunities, then we, yes. can, we can say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so uh, you were at minus 30 units, so you improved to minus 20. So we're both in pretty okay. good shape here going into our wild card round or super wild card round. Yes. Bets. All right. I will go ahead and give my games. And both of mine are for uh, AFC North teams. So oh. the first one I'm going to take is actually against the Browns. I'm going to go with Houston plus two and a half versus Cleveland. I, I, I think this will be a close game either way, but... C.J. Stroud, incredibly impressive, does not turn the ball over at all, led the league in interception rate. Cleveland Browns have a good defense, but they also rely heavily on turnovers. And Joe Flacco has been playing well, not afraid to turn the ball over at all. He's been giving the ball away. I think if you kind of look at how that turnover situation could play out, I like uh, Houston at home. My other one, I will take Pittsburgh plus 10 against Buffalo. I do not think they will win, but I do think this could be just a – sloppy, cold, gross kind of game where Josh Allen is not uh, taking care of the ball as he normally is, is want to do. Pittsburgh, I, again, I don't think they'll win, but 10 points for a Mike Tomlin team, I, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, a lot of pressure on Buffalo. The way yeah. they, they lost that game last year to Cincinnati, the divisional game, um, just being a 10-point favorite, they're playing well right now. That was impressive what they did to, to go six and six and then run the table and make it and go down yeah. to Miami and win the division. So as much as it, it has a little bit of a house money feel, but that is not house money at all. That team has forever felt like it's right on the cusp of something special. And if they lose in the, that, that first home game again this year, that that is not going to go over well in Buffalo. So I, I love that pick. I didn't go with it. I actually matched you on, the Houston Cleveland pick. And I had wrote down Houston minus two and a half, and I was still willing to take them at minus two and a half. So I was wrong about that. They're actually getting plus they're getting points from the Browns. Um, so yeah, I would take, I would money line them. I just, I love what the Browns have done this year. It's been so impressive. I think Stefanski should be the coach of the year with yeah. going through four, five quarterbacks, count Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Um, but Flacco does, he puts the ball in, in danger too much. And Houston just feels like it's got something special. And getting CJ Stroud back after the two-game concussion absence, um, I, I just I think that's I think that's gonna be a game Houston's gonna win. And then I stuck with Saturday and I 
I mean, this is like a bet the farm kind of game. If you have Kansas City minus four <laughs> against Miami, Miami's just decimated by injuries. Yeah. They're a warm weather team. They're going to be playing in single digit weather. Kansas City is incredible at home in the playoffs. It feels like they found a little something kind of getting back to their roots. I know they had to settle for a bunch of field goals against the Bengals, but it, it felt like that was a little bit of a tide turn for them. And then they got to kind of rest their starters, Mahomes and a lot of their starters last week. And just, I don't know, I think, I think Miami's just walking into a buzz. So I don't think that game is going to be close at all. And it, no one's going to see it anyhow because it's going to be on Peacock. <laughs> That's a good reminder. I got to get my free trial of Peacock and pay my $6 for my one game. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think Casey will win that game. And it's it, it's so funny because in the past years, you know, you pick Chiefs playoff games and it's like, oh, Patrick Mahomes, he he's not going to lose in the playoffs. Now it's like this defense isn't going to lose in the playoffs, right? I think Legereus Sneed has been a really impressive cornerback this year. And if Jalen Waddell doesn't play and they can – have Sneed with help against Tyree Kill. I mean, I'm not sure what this Miami Dolphins offense, as impressive as it's been this season, I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do against that Kansas City Chiefs defense. So I, I like that pick as well. Um, it's going to be a fun weekend of games, Jay. We, we talked earlier, both our wives are out of town so this weekend. So we're sitting on the couch and watching a lot of football this weekend. Um, I just want to say thanks to everyone for watching and listening all season. Yes. This has been a great, great opportunity, I think, for, for Jay and I. And we, we've really, really appreciated the support on YouTube and all the other platforms and the feedback we've received. Um, so I, I really, really appreciate it personally. To, Jay, to be able to get to do this with you all season has been truly an honor not to get sappy here at the end of the show. But really, really have had a great time. And the show's not going anywhere. You know, the Bengals yeah. season is over, but we have got so much to talk about through this offseason. It's going to be a massive offseason for the Bengals from a free agency perspective, from a draft perspective, possibly from a coaching perspective. There's a ton to get into, so we will not be going anywhere. Jay, anything before we wrap up this this final end of season podcast here? No, just saying, I'd like to echo what you say. Just thank you for for being such a great part of this and a great partner and, um, you know, leaving one and going to a new one. You don't know how it's going to go. And it just felt like it, 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 we just kind of jumped right in and, and went went full steam ahead from the start. And um, you've been great as, you know, someone that is, is you know, not in Cincinnati. Like you are as knowledgeable about the Bengals as anybody. And it's just been a lot of fun to do this podcast very very easy and great getting to know you like we we work for the same company but we never see we we slack yeah. but it feels like this is the kind of the bonding and where the friendship starts and so it, it, it has been great thank you to everybody that that has downloaded subscribed done all of that it means a lot i encourage us to keep going we're uh, kind of come up with some brainstorm some new ideas for next season it's also for this off season i would love to kind of get you guys, the, the the viewers involved a little more, maybe with some some reader questions, and um, we just kind of kind of found our way through season one, and bigger, better, more things to come as we move into season two. Absolutely, Jay. Well said, everyone. Thanks again for listening, and be back next Tuesday. Don't know what we'll talk about yet. We still we've got an entire off season to plan here, so we we will be back and. Talk about whatever comes up on this Bengal side of things. So again, thank you for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday.